to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Let me ask you to turn to Proverbs 23. While you are turning there, uh, allow me to say a few words about the subject of food. You see, food is an important part of our lives. We care about food. Uh, Food is not just a matter of the stomach. Very often, food can be a matter of the heart. Uh, Food is a a daily part of our lives. Uh, Countless hours of our lives are spent in cultivating or purchasing and then preparing and then consuming food. And I don't know if you've noticed, but people often tend to have very strong opinions when it comes to food. Uh, People tend to have strong opinions about what should be eaten and what should not be eaten. Uh, In recent years, we've seen the influence of the organic movement and the the free-range movement and the the local foods movement. Uh, We've seen the debates over outlawing uh, large sugary drinks in New York and the possibility of a fat tax on foods like French fries and Big Macs. Indeed, we live in a day in which many people believe that sexual immorality and homosexuality are absolutely appropriate, but that to be obese is a terrible sin. Uh, There are some that would passionately argue for the rights of a homosexual couple to adopt a child and would just as passionately argue against allowing an obese person to adopt a child. Uh, Obesity has quickly become a great societal sin. As Christians, we should be striving to have a biblical understanding of our world and a biblical understanding of every part of our world. Uh, We want to see this world through the lens of God's truth. And when we look at food through this biblical lens, we recognize, first of all, that food is a good gift from God for our life and our enjoyment. In the very beginning, it was God who created Adam and Eve in such a way that they depended upon food for survival. He created them to find enjoyment in food. In Genesis 1, God gives to Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden with these words. Behold, which means look, look around. I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So food is a gift from God to be celebrated and to be enjoyed. We also know from scripture that food teaches us our dependence upon God. And that food ought to humble us and teach us gratitude. Uh, You see, even though Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, they were created as dependent beings. God is not a dependent being. God does not need food or drink. One of the ways that God reminds us that we are not him is by our dependence upon him for our daily bread. We are to pray each day for our dietary needs to be met. We're to thank him for the food and drink that we have. Job chapter 5, verse 10. He gives rain on the earth and he sends waters on the fields. So food should both delight us and humble us and it should turn our attention towards God. 
We also know from the Bible that food was given as a means of fellowship and communion. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, sharing a meal together is seen as an expression of friendship, of peace, of love. Uh, Jesus dared to even eat with tax collectors. He ate with sinners, and it caused a scandal because he was willing to have fellowship with these people. Uh, Romans 12, 13 commands us to show hospitality to one another and to know the joyous fellowship that comes when people break bread together. Uh, Interestingly, the great day that we're all waiting for, the day when we will be brought into the new heavens and the new earth to be with Jesus forever, that day is described in terms of a great wedding feast. It is presented to us as a day of joyous fellowship over food. Nevertheless, we also know from the Bible that man's rebellion against God has been expressed through food. Uh, Food was right there at the beginning of man's rebellion with the forbidden fruit. We saw it this morning. Eve looked at the fruit. It was pleasing to her eyes. She desired and she took it. She gave some to Adam and he ate as well. The fall of man came about by a sinful taking of food. The consequences of man's fall are often expressed through food. Tim Chester says it this way. He says, food is at the heart of our rejection of God. The very first act of rebellion was an act of eating. Ever since, our relationship to food often goes wrong because our relationship to God has gone wrong. We find comfort in food instead of refuge in God. We use food or avoid food to make ourselves desirable so that others will worship us. Our fractured relationships and greed mean that many in this world go without food. We overeat. We undereat. Food is integral to our humanity, so it is no surprise to find that our brokenness shows up in our relationship to food. Well, this evening we're continuing our series of sermons about putting Romans 8.13 into practice. Again, Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Die. And if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. So let's be reminded, right? Heaven and hell are what we're talking about here. We're not saved by killing sin. But if we're truly saved, we will kill sin. Uh, It is understood that God's people are people who, well, they've repented. They've they've changed sides. We, We used to be on the side of evil, and we desired sin and loved sin, but no more in our heart of hearts. We no longer treasure and value sin. We're to be turning from sin. One mark of a true believer is that he or she hates sin and longs to have every trace of it out of their lives. Now, we've seen already that the way we kill sin by the Spirit is through faith, prayer, and the Word. Faith, prayer, and the Word. What does that look like when it comes to the sins that we practically deal with. We've talked about pride. We've talked about avarice or greed. This morning we looked at the subject of lust. Tonight we talk about the subject that is related to food, the sin of gluttony. We want to take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and learn from it how we can gut gluttony out of our lives. So we're going to follow our typical outline. Let's begin with gluttony defined 
gluttony defined. And to do that, let's read the first two verses of Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, beginning the first two verses. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Now go down to verse 19. Verse 19. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among the drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So what is gluttony? Gluttony is the inordinate or excessive desire for food and drink. The inordinate, remember that means improper, inappropriate. Gluttony is the inordinate or excessive desire for food or drink. And it can appear in various forms. Uh, The one that we think of first, typically, is overeating. Gluttony is feeding the body more than it needs for good health. Indeed, once you've started overeating, you are no longer serving the health of your body. You're hurting the health of it. Uh, You're giving in to food to a detrimental extent. Uh, This overeating is rooted in something deeper, an inordinate love for food. Uh, Gluttony is desiring and enjoying food to such an extent that you do not stop when you ought to stop. Uh, Food or drink becomes an idol in your life so that you know you you ought to stop eating and drinking at a certain point and that it's bad for you to continue eating and drinking beyond that point, and yet you do it anyway. Gluttony is when food has too high a place in your heart, and so you give too much of it to your stomach. Now, gluttony can also mean setting one's tastes on foods that are extravagant and expensive. You can commit gluttony by wasting away your family's resources so that you can have the very finest of food and drink. That's part of what verses 1 and 2 are about. The father is telling his son that if he goes to eat with a powerful person and these um, exorbitant and and precious and expensive foods are are laid out before him, he doesn't say, watch your tongue. He says, watch your heart, right? Um, If you're given to appetite, if you indulge yourself in this, negative consequences can follow. And one negative consequence is that you might allow your heart to be taken in by this exquisite food and drink so that you you fall in love with them. And How many people have done great harm to their families because they continue to blow each month's income on, on luxurious food and drink? Another form that gluttony can take is that of allowing your heart to become too attracted to those foods that are not really healthy except in the very smallest of portions. So take sugary drinks, for example. Uh, There is very little of nutritional value in a sugary drink. Uh, There's little that does your body good in a can of Coke or Pepsi. But rather than the occasional enjoyment of one of these drinks, the glutton will, will overindulge in these to the harm of his or her body. Whatever form gluttony takes, though, this is the root of it. Food or drink becomes an idol. You, delo- you love and desire food or drink at a level that is inappropriate. So that's gluttony defined. Now gluttony described. Uh, Richard Baxter, the old Puritan pastor, put it this way. Gluttony is a sin 
so exceedingly contrary to the love of God that it is idolatry. It has the heart that God should have because the same love, the same care, the same delight, the same service and diligence which God should have is given by the glutton to his belly and to his throat. What makes gluttony such a vile sin? It takes the kind of love that we ought to have for God, the kind of desire that we ought to have for Him and for His will and His kingdom, and we focus it on food and drink. Rather than being a servant of God, we become servants of our bellies. Rather than being submissive to the good, wise will of God, we submit ourselves to the foolish and immoderate whims of our bodies. Paul says that this marks unbelievers. Philippians 3.19, speaking of those who do not know Christ, it says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So why is gluttony so vile? Well, first, as we've just seen, gluttony is a form of idolatry. It even takes the authority that belongs to God, the authority to command us, and it gives that authority to our bodies. We become servants of our stomachs and of our eyes rather than of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians six twelve. He says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. In other words, Paul recognized that as a Christian, he was not bound by the Old Testament regulations concerning food or drink. He knew that all things were now lawful for him. It was was now his, his right to be able to enjoy foods and drinks that Old Testament Israel was not allowed to enjoy. But he said, just because all things are now lawful for me doesn't mean that all things are helpful. And then he makes this important resolution. He says, I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be enslaved by anything. Uh, Because he is seeking to serve God, he's not going to allow anything else to capture his will. He will not let the authority over his life be given to any other thing in his life but God. God is Paul's master. He doesn't need his stomach to be a master as well. And then Paul says this. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy both one and the other. In other words, this fallen body and the food of this fallen world is not going to last. It is not worthy of so much attention. It is not worthy of so much of your heart. Let your heart belong to one who endures. Now second, first gluttony is so vile because of its idolatry. Second, gluttony is so vile because it leads to other sins. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul actually wasn't speaking about gluttony so much as he was about sexual immorality. Uh, He was trying to help the Corinthian church understand the right way that Christians should relate to their own bodies. And his point was that we must not let our bodies ever control us. We must control our bodies. As Charles Bridges puts it, God gives us our body to feed, but not to pamper to be the servant and not the master of the soul. You see, we are to work to meet the needs of our bodies, but we are not to work to feed the body's lusts, whatever they may be. One principle we seem to see throughout the Scripture is that the appetites are connected. 
If you indulge in one, you strengthen the others. We talked about lust this morning. We're talking about gluttony tonight. We're going to talk about sloth next time. But these are all connected. These are all sensual appetites of the body. And if you give in to one, you're only feeding the others. Did you notice that in verse 21 of our proverb, uh, Proverbs 23, Solomon connects gluttony with sloth. You see, if you let one fleshly desire start to reign over you, well, you open the door for all of them to reign over you. Now, by the way, this is why in our fight against sin, we must never simply fight against one particular sin. Don't get that impression from these seven sermons on particular sins. We are always to fight sin in general. If I say I'm going to fight hard against lust, and I'm going to work to rid myself of all impure thoughts. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to let myself indulge in gluttony. Because, you know, I'm focusing on lust right now. I'm, I'm not going to focus on that one. And so if at the same time I'm defeating this one, but this sin is growing, am I really winning anything? Am I winning the war? Not only that, giving in to gluttony is only going to make my battle against other sensual sins harder. Because every time I submit to my flesh concerning one thing, I am strengthening its power over me in other parts of my life. Moodiness, impatience, selfishness. These are all the results of a flesh that has not been conquered. A flesh that has not been denied as it ought to be. So we can't simply target one sin of the group. We must target them all. We must habitually de- deny the flesh in every area where the flesh would lead us into sin. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Right, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. We want to be truly clean in every way. John Owen put it this way, if we will do anything, we must do everything. So then our need is not only an intense opposition to this or that particular sin, but a universal humble frame and temper of heart that watches out for every evil and seeks the performance of every good duty that is pleasing to God. Gluttony is vile because it is idolatry. Gluttony is vile because it leads to other sins. But number three, gluttony is vile because it has detrimental effects on our bodies. This we know from natural revelation. It is obvious that gluttony has ill effects. The number one cause of death in our country is heart disease. And what is the number one cause of heart disease? An unhealthy diet, a lack of of exercise, and being overweight. Gluttony shortens your lifespan. Gluttony causes you to work harder than, than you should, causes your heart to work harder than it should. Uh, gluttony makes physical activity more difficult and less enjoyable. Uh, gluttony steals your energy and your vibrancy. Indeed, gluttony steals your life. And then fourth, gluttony is vile because it robs God and us of our usefulness to Him. You see, we've been bought at a price. We are not our own. Our lives are not our own. So when we give our lives over to gluttony and poor eating habits and lack of exercise, restricting ourselves physically, 
We are restricting what we can do for God. Your loss of energy and your loss of stamina, uh, these things are things that could have been used in fulfilling your callings well for the glory of God. The life you give to gluttony is a life that could have been used to care for the saints, to minister to the poor, to devote to God's service. Uh, We already saw in verse 21 that gluttony can lead to sloth and therefore to poverty. Gluttonous people tend to be poorer because they waste more of their resources on food and drink and because gluttony leads to a lifestyle of less energy for work. So gluttony results in Christians that often have less to give to the kingdom of God um, monetarily but also personally and with their own energy and strength. Fifth and most important though, gluttony is vile because it is a sin against Almighty God. It is a failure to trust Him and His Word and what He has told us about our own bodies. It is a failure to fear Him and to tremble before Him. It is a failure to acknowledge Him as your Creator, the holy, holy, holy God to whom you will one day answer. Gluttony is giving your heart to created things rather than the Creator. Heading number three. You already know the five points that are coming. We'll do them briefly, but I hope you'll hear them again. How Christ makes all the difference. Number one, Christ set the example. Christ was a true man, and he knew temptation towards gluttony, just like you do, just like I do, but he was driven by a higher love and a higher delight than that of food. In fact, what did he tell his disciples? He sent them for food in John 4. And then while they were gone, he meets this woman at the well and he ministers to her and he he speaks truth to her and he found his joy there. So his uh, disciples come back with food and Jesus says, I don't want it anymore. And they said, but you, you you sent us to go get it. And he said, my food and drink is to do the will of my father who has sent me. Meaning not, I don't eat or drink anymore, but meaning I have a higher delight that sustains me. Right? That as good as food and drink are, there is something so much better that really sustains my life. And it is my passion for doing the will of my Father. Christ on the cross, this is number two, Christ on the cross took the punishment that our sins deserve. Sometimes we make light of the sin of gluttony. Uh, I think of the seven sins. This is the one that maybe we tend to belittle or to demean the most. But let's be clear. Christ experienced the wrath of God on the cross, even for sins of gluttony. And that Christ, from his experience, would not say to us that this is a small sin. Yet, we don't need to be paralyzed by this sin. And I know there are many people who often feel paralyzed by their struggles with with their weight, with their eating habits, by uh, trying to, to be a certain way and to live a certain way. But we do need to remember that as Christians, all of our sins, even our sins when it comes to food and drink, are forgiven because we are in Christ. He took the punishment we deserve. Uh, Third, Christ has promised us a day when we will be made perfectly holy. Right Here is the hope before us. We, we will not battle with food and drink all our lives. There will be a day when, there will, when moderation will be the easiest and most pleasant thing in the world to us. Fourth, Christ by the Spirit is making us holy now. Jesus does not just say, you, go do right with food and drink. 
No, he by his spirit is already working to rid your life of gluttony. The spirit is doing that and he's going to be victorious. Your calling is to join with the spirit in that great work. And then number five, Christ by his spirit through his word is causing us to know his love for us. So we're not fighting this sin out of a desperate attempt to get God to be okay with me. No, God is okay with me through Christ and I should know his love. It is as we live in the reality of Christ's love for us. By the way, this is the fifth point in my five points under this heading. This is the most important thing I say in these seven sermons. This is the most important thing I say. Make sure you remember this, if nothing else, that the way we live the Christian life and fight the good fight is by living in the reality of Christ's overwhelming love for us. Otherwise, the battle will kill you. But when you know that you have a good shepherd whose grace is sufficient for you and that he is with you and that he is going to give you the victory because he cares for you, that changes everything. Fight these battles in the reality of Christ's great love for you. Okay, if there are any unbelievers here, the point of all that is to say yet again, come to Christ. The only way to defeat this or any other sin in your life is through him. He will save you from the guilt of sin. He will save you from the power of sin. Come to Christ. Now, fourth heading, for those of us who are Christians and our sins are forgiven and we know there's going to be a day when we're going to be holy and we know the Spirit is working in us this very moment and we know Christ's love for us this very moment, what can we do to join with the Spirit in killing this sin in our lives? Number one, know the expulsive power of a new affection. Know the expulsive power of a new affection. Expulsive. This, this is a famous phrase from Thomas Chalmers. Uh, the word expulsive is the same as the word expelled. So you know what it means to be expelled, right? When you're expelled from school, they, they kick you out, right? You're, you're not allowed to return. Well, this is what we want to do with gluttony. We want to expel it. We want to, to kick it out of our lives. Uh, Commerce talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. That is, there is a kind of love that is so joyful and so full of delight to our soul that it expels every other love that would go against it or that would quench it in any fashion. Do you know what it is to be so in love with your Savior and your God that it would pain you to do anything contrary to his will. Do you know what it is to be so full of love towards God and so happy in him that the pleasures promised by excessive food or drink seem minuscule in comparison with the delights you have in him? The Christian's highest love and delight should be in God himself. And we still enjoy food and drink, but we enjoy food and drink as good gifts from God's hands. We enjoy food and drink as an expression of God's love to us. And we enjoy it with gratitude and in moderation. Because it isn't the food and drink itself that we really love, or it shouldn't be. It should be the God who gave us the food and drink. You, 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 maybe there's some food or drink that you really love and you take a bite of it and you have that wonderful you know, flavor in your mouth. What's, what's the first thing you think? Does your heart immediately go to, oh, what a great dish. 
Or does it go to, oh, what a great God to come up with a world that creates this, right? That is so good. And to give me the privilege of having the opportunity to experience it. Everything in our lives should be Godward. When uh, it, the best tasting steak we've ever eaten or the best slice of homemade apple pie, these are only signs pointing us to the higher delights to be found in communion with God. Indeed, those things point us to the day when we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb and know a communion with Christ that is sweeter than we have ever known. So we should enjoy these signs as gifts from God, but we should keep them in their place. Because when the signs become dearer to your heart than what they point to, that is idolatry. So the first tactic to fight gluttony is cultivate your happiness in Christ. Grow in your love towards God. Increase your happiness in the Spirit. You say, Justin, how do I do that? By living in their love for you. We love him because he first loved us. The more you dwell on the gospel, the more you dwell on the glories of Christ, the more you dwell on his holiness and your unworthiness and how he is yet so good to you, the more you live in that reality, the more your heart won't be capable of keeping yourself from falling more in love with this God. Learn the expulsive power of a higher, better affection. Number two. Know yourself. Know yourself. And know which foods and drinks seem to be most likely to lead you to idolatry. Learn self-control and moderation by denying yourself those things. So for example, if you know the one food you love more than any other is chocolate pie, and you should taste my grandmother's, it is the best. If you know that that is the food you love more than any others and you wish you could have it every day for every meal, well, then you need to take action. Let that be your anniversary dessert one time a year, right? Let it be something that you restrict from yourself to teach yourself self-control except for on a very special occasion or two each year when you can then, on that special occasion, right, you can enjoy this dessert and you can enjoy it Christianly. That is, with gratitude towards God, remembering that the delight you have in that food is meant to point you to the greater delight of God himself. Uh, know which foods and drinks tempt you on a daily basis. Paul said he would not be dominated by anything Are you allowing caffeine to dominate your life? Have you become addicted to sugary soft drinks so that without one each day you find yourself riddled with headaches and you find your life impaired from glory, from living for the glory of God? You've become dependent upon these things. Well, then those are the things you need to take action against. Cookie Monster now says cookies are a sometimes treat. Maybe soft drinks need to be a sometimes treat for you. What foods and drinks have the temptation to dominate you? Parents, remember that our children are learning from us how to eat and drink appropriately. Spouses, do what you can to help one another in this endeavor. Don't be a cause of stumbling or an obstacle in the way of your spouse. All of us are likely fighting an inordinate love for a food or drink of some kind. 
Know what that is in your spouse's life and be helpful, not harmful. Uh, Join with your spouse in restricting those items to special occasions that would be a special cause of temptation. So number two is know yourself. Number three, work to develop the habit of moderation and self-control. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What is it? Self-control. It's not at the end because it's the least important. It's not. You must fight the flesh on every battleground, not just concerning food. Keep a constant watch over your life to be sure that your body is under the mastery of your soul and not vice versa. Be willing to take radical action if necessary. Solomon told his son that if he found himself in that moment with the feast in front of him given to an indulgent appetite, he said it would be better for you to take the knife that you're supposed to use to eat the food and put it to your own throat. Now he was not telling his son to commit suicide, but he was telling his son to be ruthless in his self-control. Don't play games with the flesh. Put a knife to it and make it submit to you. This is a matter of life and death. Well, fourth and finally, remember that God wants you to have more pleasure, not less. God wants you to have more pleasure, not less. God is not calling you to deny yourself because He enjoys watching you go without. No, He is calling you to deny yourself certain pleasures today so that you can have greater pleasure in the future. In fact, he calls you to deny yourself certain pleasures today so that you can have the capacity to experience greater pleasures today. You see, indulging in fleshly appetites has a way of doling your ability to enjoy spiritual pleasures. Have you ever noticed that? Let me say that again. This is the Puritan principle. People knew this centuries ago. I don't think we know this anymore. Indulging in fleshly pleasures has a way of doling your appetite for spiritual pleasures. Spiritual pleasures are the higher pleasures, the better pleasures, the the more satisfying and the lasting pleasures, the, the dwelling on Christ and meditating on His realities and sensing His love for us. These are the great things. If we give ourselves too much to the sensual fleshly things, we will find our appetite for spiritual things deteriorating, lessening. See how good God is to you. He is not calling you to abstain from food or drink. He is asking you to enjoy them with gratitude and in moderation. He calls you to practice moderation because He desires you to be able to know greater happiness today, spiritual happiness that comes in communing with Him, trusting Him, and serving Him. Three, he calls you to practice moderation because he doesn't want your flesh to pull you to hell. He is saving you from eternal misery. And fourth, God calls you to practice moderation because in doing so you will be rewarded with a joy beyond what you can imagine in heaven. The rewards of faithful obedience today are an eternal happiness in heaven. Mount Hermon, God is not against your pleasure. He is for your pleasure. But it is a pleasure that is to be rooted in Him. Trust your God. He knows what is best for you. He really does love you. 
Submit your will to God's and not to the will of your flesh. Your flesh is a lousy God. But the true God is a God worthy of your allegiance. So trust Him. Live in His love. Follow His ways. Amen? Let's pray.